Hello and welcome to SAE Tomorrow Today. I'm your host, Grayson Grolte. On today's episode, we're absolutely honored to sit down with Stan Caldwell, Executive Director, Carnegie Mellon University, Traffic 21 Institute. Stan told the story of how Pittsburgh emerged from a smoky steel town to the home of innovation, the home of autonomy. That vision started with an incredible philanthropist in Pittsburgh named Henry Hillman. Mr. Hillman had a vision to transform Pittsburgh, and that's what he did. Stan tells the story and tells the integral role that Carnegie Mellon University's Traffic 21 Institute played in enabling Pittsburgh to become the home of autonomy. Stan also shares his vision for where Pittsburgh is going and how it's going to retain that talent as the industry grows in Pittsburgh. It's a great story that shines a really positive light on Pittsburgh. We hope you enjoy. Welcome to the podcast, Dan. Thanks, Grayson. I really appreciate the opportunity to be here. We're super excited to have you here because the Traffic 21 Institute is world-renowned and is housed inside of a world-renowned university. So I can't wait for you to pull back the curtain and tell us incredible story of Traffic 21. Before we get there, Stan, I want to go back to a, a local philanthropist who did a lot of really good in the city of Pittsburgh by the name of Henry Hillman. He came up with the idea to change the image of Pittsburgh. This was before the Smart City Challenge. Could you please kindly talk about the idea that Mr. Hillman had and how it went on to change the city? Yeah, so back in 2009, Henry Hillman was talking to the then president of the university, Jerry Cohen, about the whole idea of intelligent transportation systems. Henry Hillman was always a visionary in lots of different technologies and business throughout his career. And he really saw this whole world of intelligent transportation systems emerging globally. And he said, we really need to have this happen here in Pittsburgh. And, uh, you know, we've got uh, CMU's doing great work in this area. And we want to have this happen in Pittsburgh for, you know, three reasons in his mind. You know, one was, that we could get some of this technology deployed early in Pittsburgh and actually improve the transportation system here for the residents of the region and visitors to the region. And then number two, he really wanted to help change the image of Pittsburgh from a smoky steel town to a smart city. And if you recall, this is right around the time when IBM had kicked off their uh, Smarter Planet initiative. And so the whole smart city movement was really just, uh, you know, just beginning. And then third, he said, well, we could really help to build this into a, an industry cluster that would bring intelligent transportation system businesses here in Pittsburgh and help grow them here in Pittsburgh. So that was really his initial vision was how the university could use the region and the city as a test bed in order to advance intelligent transportation systems. I'm happy you mentioned IBM because during that time they did the beautiful roadshow in New York City where they showed IBM's history of innovation with the patents and and where they were were trying to go. So thank you for pointing that out because it was really impressive. Pittsburgh's an, an incredible town, did incredible things. It transforms into this incredible, incredible growing technology hub with companies, Apple, Argo AI, Aurora, all either operating in the city, relocating to the city, setting up research facilities. Did the Traffic 21 Institute emerge from Mr. Hillman's vision of a kind of, if you want to act as a connector to kind of sit in the middle of this intelligent transportation systems to be that connector to leverage the beautiful Carnegie Mellon University system and connecting it with the private sector? Well, the best part of that, the, the story that I was telling earlier was that, you know, the response from the university president at the time was, uh, well, Mr. Hillman, we we have a lot of transportation work going on at CMU, but we actually don't have a transportation program. 
And so Traffic 21 was really designed as a way to take all of the research that was happening around transportation. Remember, this is after the DARPA Urban Grand Challenge in 2007. And so, as you said, there was just, you know, world-renowned work going on around autonomous vehicles and connected vehicles and electric vehicles, all different types of technologies. But this was not under one roof. This was not this was in the School of Computer Science. It was in the Robotics Institute. It was in many different departments in the College of Engineering. It was in the Heinz College of Information Systems and Public Policy and Architecture and Design. And so Traffic 21 was set up as an initiative that Henry Hillman funded in order to kind of bring this all under any transportation in research under the umbrella of traffic 21 so that we could help to coordinate and organize some of the some of the faculty around opportunities for transportation funding when were you brought in to run it were you there in the early days rolling your sleeves up with your incredible background on politics maneuvering around it so actually rick stafford who is a faculty member here at uh, Carnegie Mellon was the first one tasked with this in 2009 and was in those early conversations because he had an early relationship from the past with Henry Hillman and with the university. And so then Rick hired me on in 2010 as the first employee of Traffic 21 in order to be that liaison between the university and what we call the real world partners who are out there doing the work in the field. And that's one thing, uh, you know, Rick Stafford had a really extensive career in public policy and working with Henry Hillman in the past, but always believed in how do you bring together academics and business leaders and community leaders? And so he always played that liaison role. And so my background was actually before I came here, I was running U.S. Senator Arlen Specter's office out of Pittsburgh. And then when he left office in 2010, Rick recruited me on to come here to be that liaison between the real world partners and the academics to make sure that the research was being deployed. And that was the early motto from Rick Stafford is research, development and deployment. How do you get the technology that's happening at the university tested and deployed in the real world? And then with the hopeful eventual commercialization of that research as well. You're doing a, a really good job at it because the Institute has 180 deployment partners today. How did it grow so fast? We were fortunate to position ourselves with all these faculty in, in order to get a grant through the U.S. Department of Transportation University Transportation Center program. This is back in 2012. So once we were able to bring the faculty together kind of under this Traffic 21 umbrella and create a new transportation organization at the university, we were able to get this grant. And now we're on our third University Transportation Center grant. And so what this grant enables us to do is fund faculty research and the around intelligent transportation systems. So for the last nine years, we've required all those university research programs to have a deployment partner. And so sometimes faculty would bring deployment partners that they had been working with. And if, but if they just had a good research idea, we could help to match them with these partners. So over the last nine years, we've kept accumulating more and more partners who have worked with our faculty. But of all those deployment partners, they've all in some way worked with our faculty and students on 
deploying both technology and policy research in the field. Are some of the private sector companies approaching you with research ideas that they eventually want, they have an idea to deploy a technology, but they're looking for research around it to validate it? Is that similar how that might work? Some companies will come to the university and actually develop sponsored research agreements with the university. So they can come to the university with a very specific need for research. And they, or, and they may have a very specific researcher that they want to work with on that research. And so they'll develop a specific contract around that that may address intellectual property issues or other types of issues around specific sponsored research. That's one way. You know, another way is for, um, you know, companies to come in and just fund research around topics that they want to see more research addressing. Uh, you know, one example of that is the Argo AI Center. So Argo AI is a local autonomous vehicle company here in Pittsburgh, and they made a contribution to the university's Robotics Institute to really do more research around issues that they did not have the bandwidth to be addressing from the corporate side, but really seeing the need for research in specific areas that was going to help move the uh, move the industry forward. That's a really smart move. It goes into the incredible way that Brian Selesky, who's been on a previous podcast for Margo, their co-founder and CEO, runs the company. You're in Pittsburgh. You have incredible, incredible resources in the town with the university systems. Overall, what type of research is being conducted? You have the Argo AI Center. Is it autonomous vehicle research being done in Chapter 20? Is it intelligent AI traffic lights? Is it vertical takeoff and landing? Could you kind of pull back a curtain and talk about what type of research is currently being conducted at Traffic 21, please? Well, Traffic 21 from the beginning is broad, but it's broad in the area of intelligent transportation systems. And so what we try to focus on is how you apply information and communication systems to transportation. So as opposed to you know, a lot of vehicle systems or structural systems in the infrastructure, we really focus on information and communication systems. And of course, that's one of the strengths of Carnegie Mellon. And again, from our University Transportation Center, we also do have some partners at the University of Pennsylvania, the Ohio, the Ohio State University, and the Community College of Allegheny County. But all the researchers that we're working with, again, are focused more on intelligent transportation systems. And that can be, we like to say, making the vehicle smarter, making the travelers smarter, or making the managers of the system smarter. Inside of Carnegie Mellon also sits the Mobility 21 National University Transportation Center. How does Mobility 21 and, and the Traffic 21 student complement each other? One of our goals with Traffic 21 was to try to get one of these coveted university transportation centers. There's only there's 37 university transportation centers right now funded by U.S. Department of Transportation. Seven of them are national university transportation centers. So we're one of the seven national university transportation centers. Our first one was awarded in 2012. And then we had uh, two subsequent centers. And so Mobility 21 is our current U.S. Department of Transportation funded university transportation center. And that's the one where we have the partners of Penn, Ohio State, and the, and the community college. 
And what this does is this really enables us to work with other universities, the U.S. Department of Transportation, a lot of national organizations to kind of do what we did here in Pittsburgh, where we used the city of Pittsburgh and the region here as a test bed and used local partners for our research development and deployment model. But now we're able to do it more on the national level with, with more national partners, both on the academic and corporate and civic levels, along, you know, in partnership with the U.S. Department of Transportation, which gives our work even more validation. I'm curious, where does the 21 come after traffic and mobility? Well, I, I get a lot of questions now, and I, I didn't recognize it until until we got into this year. A lot of people saying, "Well, what are you going to do now that it's the, that it's 2021 and your job must be over?" <laughs> and uh, <laughs> this actually came from the uh, 21st century technology. So it was the idea that we're supposed to be, you know, we a lot of us around the U.S. and around the world are have been working with transportation systems from the you know, from the previous century. And, and there had been a lot of investments, you know, particularly at the turn of the last century with the advent of the, mo- uh, you know, the motorized vehicle. And then, you know, later with the development of the interstate highway system. And, you know, those were two big milestones, but now we're into this third whole milestone of technology and transportation and information and communications technology that's really kind of bringing us into 21st century transportation. Uh, and that's where the 21 comes from. So we're not done this year. We, we still have uh, you know, 70, 79 more years to go till we have to worry about changing the name. Pittsburgh's evolving into a 21st century, as we alluded to earlier. It's going to continue to grow, in my opinion. It's going to continue to attract world-renowned companies to leverage the incredible, instead of before, but it's an incredible university system. What are your thoughts? You're based there. You're at Carnegie Mellon. You're in an incredible city, which is a great sports city. Um, and I love your Permani brothers. Gosh, those are really good. Got to give them a shout out to Permani. Yes. Delicious. Thank you, Marcy Hyman, for taking me. What are your thoughts on Pittsburgh emerging as this innovative technology hub? Well, first of all, and again, this is, um, you know, I, I like to, uh, to note that uh, Rick Stafford, who I referenced earlier before, actually had a part in this, you know, over 30 years ago as well was that the city of Pittsburgh and the region and the state of Pennsylvania made a lot of investments, you know, many years ago to kind of help transform. Because remember, you know, Pittsburgh in the 1980s went through, you know, one of the biggest job exodus with the collapse of the steel industry here. And so there was very specific initiatives around how do we make investments to diversify the economy and move to more of a technology economy for the future? And there were early investments in the, you know, for our Robotics Institute. We had the National Robotics Engineering Center that was developed outside of campus down in Lawrenceville along the river near downtown Pittsburgh, the Software Engineering Institute. A lot of investments that were going to really help uh, the University of Pittsburgh and Carnegie Mellon kind of help transform the city into an eds and meds type of economy uh, with, with with the education and and uh, and the medical industries. And so these investments really uh, you know really took root 20, 30 years ago and are now just kind of blossoming at this point. And we're seeing a lot of the benefits, but 
these you know these were a lot of uh, targeted initiatives that uh, that were made a long time ago with people that had a lot more foresight and, uh, and and it didn't just happen yesterday. So I think that that was very helpful. And of course, we saw a lot of this really emerge with you know CMU's winning the DARPA Urban Grand Challenge in 2007, which was a Department of Defense final autonomous vehicle challenge. And of course, that's where. You know, as you referenced, Brian Selesky and uh, Raj Raj Kumar, who runs the Mobility 21 Center here now, and, you know, uh, uh, Chris Armsom from Aurora and Red Whitaker, who was, uh, you know, an early pioneer in a lot of this, it all came from that challenge. When the investments were being made, were they being made throughout the state? Where in, in Philadelphia, you have a lot of large businesses. There are some autonomous vehicle testing going on today, and you have Pittsburgh. Was was the investments being spread out? Was it being driven from a state level, a county level? How were those investments uh, being driven? Well, some of these early investments were really from the region here uh, in southwestern Pennsylvania. Uh, we have a very good partner in the. Allegheny Conference on Community Development, which also houses the Greater Pittsburgh Chamber of Commerce. And so essentially it is our regional civic organization for the 10 county region around the city of Pittsburgh. And and again, Rick Stafford was uh, CEO of that organization for many years during that time as well. And so that organization really helped along with our Southwestern Pennsylvania Commission regional metropolitan planning organization really helped to unite the local elected officials in the region and work closely as a region with the city of Pittsburgh and the state in order to make those investments and continue that now. And we still are kind of working collectively as a region, not just the city and not just CMU, and but as a region in order to really grow this industry uh, for the region. And we've seen some of the you know, in investments from some like Argo AI that have even invested in their testing track is outside of the city of Pittsburgh and Allegheny County and neighboring Westmoreland County, which is good for our, you know, for, you know, for the whole regional economy. Was it at that time that the state of Pennsylvania started to take notice? Because in 2013, you had the honor of serving on the state's autonomous vehicle task force. Were you, you trying to, was that at the early stage of trying to figure out what the state's approach to autonomous vehicles were going to be? And with you having this great insight into Pittsburgh, they said, okay, Stan, we need your really great insight from university and from Pittsburgh of how we're going to allow this technology to roll out in the state? Well, it was actually in uh, 2013, you know, Raj Raj Kumar, who's my boss, who runs the Mobility 21 University Transportation Center and was doing a lot of autonomous vehicle work here in, in the city, said that we want to do a autonomous vehicle demonstration on the roadways. And recall, this is September of 2013. So this is literally weeks before Google kind of came out and said that they had been testing for you know half a million miles in, 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 in California. And so we planned this 33-mile um, autonomous vehicle trip in a level four autonomous vehicle uh, going on two highways and going through signalized intersections in Cranberry Township, uh, which is just about 20 miles outside of the city of Pittsburgh, and then taking the vehicle again on two two highway, two interstate highways to the to the Pittsburgh airport. And in that car, we had PennDOT Secretary Barry Shoke, who was the secretary at the time, 
and Congressman Bill Schuster from Altoona, which is neighboring our region, Altoona, Pennsylvania. And he happened to be chairman of the Transportation and Infrastructure Committee. I knew him and actually worked, uh, when I was working with Senator Specter, worked with his father, Bud Schuster, you know, who was the, uh, the who was also chairman of that, that committee and, and had a, uh, a very long history in transportation investments. So after this ride, so again, this is, this is one of the early autonomous vehicle rides. And so after we took the secretary and the congressman on this trip and they got out of the car at the airport, they you know, both kind of came away as you know, true believers in the technology of both connected and automated vehicle technology. And that's when you know, Congressman Schuster said, hey, you guys got to bring this car down to Washington, D.C. to show other members of Congress, which we did that following summer. That's when he also developed things like the innovation title in the next transportation reauthorization bill. And Secretary Shok came out and said, look, um, we're at PennDOT, we're, we're planning now for 2040. You know, we have to plan that far in advance, in advance for, our, for our infrastructure investments. I believe this technology of connected and automated vehicles is going to be here, but can you help us start planning for that? So in 2014, we helped the state and we wrote a report on the 2040 vision for connected and automated vehicles. And this started to really kind of open the eyes of the Pennsylvania Department of Transportation. So following Secretary Shoke, Secretary Leslie Richards uh, came on board and really continued this activity. And she's the one who started the Autonomous Vehicle Policy Task Force saying, look, if this technology is here and on our roads today, we better start developing policy uh, around how we're going to how we're going to manage this. And we're continuing that type of work with uh, Secretary Yasmeen Gramey and at PennDOT today. That's a fantastic story. A lot's changed since then. The technology has matured. Companies have come and gone. Other companies have gotten bigger. Has there been an update to the 2040 vision document as of yet? That that was an early document that that kind of looked at the different stages of the technology because we weren't going to try to predict what was going to happen in 2040. But what was really interesting about this, this was the first document of its kind before any of the states were doing a, a lot of work around this. Now the states and Ashto are, you know, really doing a lot of serious work around this. So what we did in our report, I think that was very helpful was we didn't try to predict the, you know, 40 years into the, you know, in, into the future. But what we did, we said, here's what you can do in the next five years. Here's what you can do in the next 10 years. Here's what you would start to look for in the next 20 years. And here's what you would start to look forward in the next 30 years. But there, you know, but looking back on that, there were certain things that said, hey, here's things you can do in the, in the first five years, which is look at your communications uh, technology investments and see what type of um, investments you're making. And look at your things like your traffic signal technology, you know, and investments around that. And so it was it was very helpful and again helping them try to frame the problem going forward. So then what came from that was very specific initiatives around specific efforts with the technology. And so there there has been a lot of work coming out of this. And actually PennDOT created a whole new division of emerging technologies. And that's that's run by a gentleman at PennDOT named Mark Kopko, who's now become a, you know, a national and international leader and expert on this. But it was it was really them just kind of 
starting to take this issue seriously and uh, you know, and figure out how the state can best position itself. And again, there's a lot of states now doing this and t- taking a proactive approach. And so uh, it's, it's good to see. But at that time, people just thought that it was too futuristic. Mark Kopko is doing phenomenal work. Mark, Mark's been on a previous podcast and he shared the vision of PennDOT. And, and I said to Mark, I said, this is what other states should do because you're taking a, a leadership pos- position. So Mark, if you're listening, thank you for the work that you're doing in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania because you're doing a, a darn good job. Stan, do you think that the work that you did in those early days helped the economic development of the state to say, look, the state of Pennsylvania takes autonomy seriously. We, we want companies here. We're starting to put together a 2040 vision document where we're going to be a collaborative partner. Do you think that's kind of laid that groundwork for the companies to expand presence into Pittsburgh to follow the vision of Mr. Hillman had to completely transform the city of Pittsburgh? I think it played a small role. You know, I think that there was a lot of different components that were happening simultaneously that helped to support this. I, I think what what we did, and I, I like to call a lot of it from from the early part, kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy of Henry Hillman's, where if, <laughs> if we kept saying it enough, it might happen. And one of these was, you know, I think one of the bigger milestones with this was in 2015, the Intelligent Transportation Society of America's uh, annual meeting was held here in Pittsburgh. Uh, so we had some early develop, early deployments of things like the our adaptive traffic signal system and our smart parking system and our real-time bus arrival system based on crowdsourcing. So we had some early ITS developments that kind of started putting Pittsburgh on the map. We actually, back to IBM, became one of the IBM 100 Smarter Cities in their Smarter Cities Challenge, in the, which was an early Smarter Cities Challenge before the U.S. Department of Transportation won. And so, you know, I always kind of joke that in order to kind of fulfill Henry Hillman's vil, uh, vision, we needed to both uh, convince people outside of Pittsburgh that Pittsburgh was a smart city, and the bigger challenge was convince people inside Pittsburgh that Pittsburgh was a smart city. <laughs> and so we kind of took this two-pronged approach, but w- when we actually had the Intelligent Transportation Society of America's annual meeting here, kind of showcasing a lot of the technology that was happening and our work with the city of Pittsburgh, all of a sudden, I think that's when the lights started turning on that, hey, wow, you know, Pittsburgh is a smart city. And again, convincing both people from the outside and people from the inside that this is the case really helped to start start to frame that and position us for the you know later U.S. Department of Transportation Smart City Challenge. When the Smart City Challenge happened, the city got an enormous amount of press around it. Was that a defining moment where individuals, maybe inside the city or outside the city, said Pittsburgh's for real? They're really going to see this through. They really want to become a smart city. Yeah, definitely. And when you know, and again, this was. This was one of the reasons we had, uh, you know, invested a lot of our time and effort into this into this process. We partnered with the city of Pittsburgh on on developing that application and developing the plan for what would be the city of Pittsburgh's smart city roadmap and worked very closely with with a lot of the staff in the mayor's office. And this is before the city had a Department of Mobility and Infrastructure. So that's one of the things that came out of this, where we now have the city's first Department of Mobility and and Infrastructure uh, run by director Karina Ricks, who's really kind of been able to take that vision and start to apply that. 
And so I think it was critical, again, so internally to help convince the city and the kind of city leaders here of this opportunity. But then externally, this is where we really started to see, you know, when Pittsburgh was one of the five finalists for the Smart City Challenge and and highlighting what was happening here and the in the early deployments, this is when we started to get a lot of the international attention. And early on, Hillman Foundation President Dave Rogers had said, when foreign travelers come to the U.S. and say, we want to see examples of smart cities and they start coming to Pittsburgh, that's when you know, we'll really see a sign of success. And we started to see that at that time where all of a sudden people would be coming in for other areas and they, you know, and we would be kind of on the circuit of the smart city tour circuit because of this. And we had a lot of people coming in and, uh, you know, to kind of see what was happening here and to see what was happening with the companies. And and I think another significant um, um, driver at that time was and this is in 2015, when Uber decided to launch its first fleet of autonomous taxis in the world that was here in Pittsburgh. So when all of a sudden there was, because for so much, for so long, this had been considered such science fiction, but all of a sudden where you could say, hey, let's go to a city and see where you can just randomly see an autonomous taxi running along the road where you can get on your app and you know, and get into that if you, you know, happen to be fortunate enough to to, to be picked for that, uh, you could. And you could just be walking down the road, particularly in, in Strip District in Lawrenceville and downtown in Oakland, and, uh, and have visitors come in and just point out, oh, there's an autonomous taxi. I mean, that was, that was pretty groundbreaking in 2015. So I think that was a very important driver as well. So you started to see the culmination of all these things at one time and, um, and uh, you know, in Pittsburgh and CMU and Traffic 21, we helped put ourselves in this place, but we were in the right place at the right time. And it happened in Pittsburgh. Exactly. And it's uh, so I think to, you know, to Henry Hillman's vision, we exceeded more than we expected, you know, both that change of image from Pittsburgh as a, you know, smoky steel town to a smart city and to have actual deployments in the city uh, and to actually now have intelligent transportation system economy, you know, thriving in, in Pittsburgh. I mean, no one ever thought that uh, the value of these of these companies would uh, that you know that we're seeing here in Pittsburgh, such as Motional and Argo AI and Aurora, you know the the world's leading autonomous vehicle companies right here in Pittsburgh is really uh, really a pleasant surprise. It's a, it's a pleasant surprise. It's the industry is only going to grow, which raises the question: as the industry grows and matures. What is Pittsburgh doing or, or what can they do to ensure that it's not steel industry 2.0 again where people leave? Well, that was one of the reasons we've, you know, we're really looking at the education side of this. And it's, you know, Brian Seleski articulates very well that labor for this industry is one of the major limiting factors. And it's not just the PhDs coming out of CMU. And this is what was maybe driving a lot of this in the earlier days, but the full workforce that's going to be necessary to build and maintain and operate these types of systems. Our early partnership with the Community College of Allegheny County uh, has been critical 
they have an automotive technician training program there. And now they're actually part of our university transportation center. Uh, Justin Starr is, um, is, is our lead over at community college now, but we've been working with uh, Bob Cook over there for many years and really figuring out how do we help the students understand how this new technology is evolving so rapidly and what their role in that is. Uh, also, we're working with the Pennsylvania Rural Robotics Initiative, which is based out of Venango County, which is really, which is about an hour and a half uh, north of Pittsburgh. Started in one school district with Tim Heffernan, who was a, a you know a teacher in the in the school district there, but now is executive director of this program that has gone to multiple counties in the northern northwestern part of Pennsylvania in order to help expose students to this new technology so that they can understand, hey, here's how we can stay in the region with a technology economy and be able to, uh, you know, again, start to grow our our job base. Because if we are going to try to feed this you know, thriving new economy with workers, we're going to have to grow our base. We're going to have to attract more people in, but they're going to need to have the skills in order to manage these new systems. And a lot of a lot of that, again, is around information and communication systems and robotics and dealing with these new technologies. You're 100% spot on correct that this technology will create a lot of jobs and there is a need for skills. Is Carnegie Mellon or, or, or local community college doing any executive education where individuals that are interested in this technology can go to learn after their job and kind of work towards it? So if they go apply at Argo or Aurora, they have a skill set that Argo and Aurora already know that, hey, they went through this program, becomes really successful for them? Well, I think that's where there's they're all you know the companies are also starting to work with the community college and other organizations to try to get that technology in to be able to identify because those companies are the ones who need to be able to identify what the pipeline is going to need in the future and what those skills are going to be we saw a void in kind of the middle management side of both government and companies, uh, consulting firms and other companies that have to deal with intelligent transportation systems and these new technologies. And so at Traffic 21, uh, last year, we developed an executive education course called Managing AI in Transportation. And so now we're not just talking about autonomous vehicles, but we're talking about all different types of artificial intelligence applications that are totally disrupting the whole transportation industry. And if you're a manager of one of these systems, again, whether it's from a city or a state or, um, or you're working for a consulting firm or other organization that is advising you know, managers of these systems, you really need to have a better grasp of what artificial intelligence is. And often I like to say more importantly, what artificial intelligence isn't. <laughs> So that you're able to help manage, you know, when vendors are coming in with technological solutions, um, you're able to have, you know, some base level understanding of, okay, here's the type of application we need and here's what we don't need. And, but just to have a better understanding of what AI is, because again, there's been so much hype around AI that there's a lot of over expectations and there's also a lot of fear that goes with it. 
And so the more understanding that the transportation professionals have of it, the more it will be able to be utilized as a tool, but also be able to manage the security and privacy and public skepticism risks around it. And so we launched that first class back in May of this year and had that first cohort of class go through in May, and uh, we're planning one again for next year. Education is key for this technology because and public trust. If the public doesn't believe in this technology, it's going to fall flat. And that's education plays this incredible, incredible role in this. You worked for U.S. Senator Arlen Specter. You dealt with constituents, understanding policy, the, the nuances, the the great thing in politics of, of no surprises for your constituents. Is that how you learn how to, to balance the expectations on AI based on your experience in policy? A lot of it did apply to that. I mean, it was, it, it was the experience in the past that if you need to have people experience the technology and ex- you know, in order to better understand the technology and to better appreciate the technology. And the technology is there to improve the lives of people, you know, and, and if it's not doing that, then it's not achieving its goal. And so all of our projects from the beginning, all these deployment projects that we've had from the beginning, uh, it's been critical for us to really engage with the community on this. And during the recent time now, where we're seeing a lot more concerns about equity and a lot more attention on equity, there's a lot of skepticism around the technology as well, dealing with the equitable deployment of this technology. And so what we've done now is we've also required all of our research projects and not just have deployment partners, but equity partners engaged in this, both from a local level and a national level in order to demonstrate here's, you know, because technology as we've known from the past can always be a, you know, applied positively or applied negatively. And it's the policies that kind of help to ensure that when a new technology is deployed, especially in something as public as transportation, if the right policies aren't in place, um, then you, you're not going to have equitable distribution and you're not going to, you know, privacy is not going to, going to be protected. And so uh, policy is, is, is a critical component to this. You're extremely well suited to run the Traffic 21 Institute. I said this many times, I'll say this again, that in autonomy world, the policy individuals working in government relations, they're the rock stars. They're the ones who are building the trust with the government, with, with senators and, and the White House, and they're allowing the world's best engineers to develop this technology. But without the right policy framework, this is all going to fall flat and it'll, it'll never happen. Stan, putting this conversation into context, how did you first become interested in mobility and why did you want to pursue this career after you know, that incredible run in policy? Well, I was, again, I was leaving Senator Specter's office in, in 2010 and that was the election that he lost. And so Rick Stafford had approached me on this and we talked about the position and talked about how this technology was being deployed and the you know the the policy components around this and he really highlighted this whole fact of you know again the research development and deployment component of it and that's what really interested me apart from the the technology itself was how do you develop the public trust and how do you develop the policies that enable that in order to you know, advance this technology. But at that time, we didn't even really envision 
you know, how quickly this would emerge. You know, I, I like to joke that in my, you know, in my first three years, when I would go out on the circuit and talk about this new technology and autonomy, everyone kind of smiled and looked and said, well, that's really interesting what you're doing, but it's not happening in my lifetime. <laughs> and then the next three years, people were, you know, all said, wow, this is all happening tomorrow and it's going to solve all of our problems. You know, of course, going to the top of the, the peak of the hype cycle. And then now in my, in the recent three years, it's all been, this is all evil and it's going to destroy the world going into that trough of disillusionment. And so, but now it's kind of, we need to take the technology out of that hype cycle and say, okay, what is, and, th and again, this is where I think it's starting to get interesting with these conversations around things like AI and this whole managing AI and transportation is because now we've gone through the hype and we've gone through the crash and we, now we need to really manage, okay, what, what really, what is this technology? You know, and how is this assisting people? We're not trying to replace people and we and this technology won't replace people, but how is it how is it assisting and how is it augmenting people and in looking at the not the kind of science fiction type of solutions, but the realistic solutions of this. And you know, and I think this is where we're finally kind of getting through the fog. We're getting through the fog and more individuals starting to realize this technology will complement society. It will have a positive impact on society. Putting this all together, what is the future of Traffic 21? So I think that the future of Traffic 21, again, is looking at these emerging technologies. I, you know, now the, the group that I've been most associated with on a national level has been the Intelligent Transportation Society of America. And uh, this this group has been a really a really significant leader in this industry because it brings together both the the private and the government and the academic interests around intelligent transportation systems. And I and I serve as the chair of the Emerging Technologies Committee. And what's interesting to me now is that autonomous and connected vehicles aren't emerging technology. <laughs> And so we're working with personal delivery devices and vertical takeoff and landing systems and uh, digital twinning. And so what we're always doing is, you know, we're looking at that next step ahead. You know, so what are the new emerging technologies? And, and so I think that's, you know, one thing that Traffic 21 and not just Traffic 21, but researchers in general, researchers always need to be on that leading edge. And that's one of the, the great things about working here at Carnegie Mellon University and the researchers that we're working with and our partners is what are the new frontiers that we need to... Stan, as we look to wrap up this insightful conversation where you've shared incredible amounts of insight about Traffic 21, Mobility 21, and the city of Pittsburgh, what would you like our listeners to take away with them? The important lesson from our experience has been that in order to have long-lasting deployments and investments and benefits from this technology, you really need to have the companies, the academics, and the public, and the government agencies all interacting together to ensure the, the, the safe and efficient and acceptable rollout of these technologies. And none of this work can be done in vacuums. And you'd really need to take that collaborative approach from the beginning in order for these, uh, these types of technology to deployments to become successful and to have long-term public acceptance, which is the goal in any type of technology deployment. Stan, thank you so much for coming on the SAE Tomorrow Today podcast to share your incredible insights into Traffic 21, 
Pittsburgh because it was really insightful and interesting because tomorrow is today, today is tomorrow, and the future is intelligent transportation. Stan, thanks again, sir. Thank you, Grace, and I really enjoyed uh, being with you and your audience today and best wishes on the uh, on the podcast in the future. Thank you. Thank you for listening to SAE Tomorrow Today. Be sure to join us next time when I sit down with Tim Higgins, technology reporter for the Wall Street Journal and author of PowerPlay, Tesla, Elon Musk, and the Bed of the Century. If you've enjoyed this episode and would like to hear more, please kindly rate, review, and let us know what topics you'd like for us to explore next by emailing us at podcast at sae.org. That's podcast at sae.org. And be sure to follow us on LinkedIn to stay connected and to continue the conversation. SAE International makes no representations as to the accuracy of the information presented in this podcast. The information and opinions are for general information only. SAE International does not endorse, approve, recommend, or certify any information, product, process, service, or organization presented or mentioned in this podcast.